Good morning, Church. The scripture reading today is taken from John chapter 15, verses 9 to 17. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I guess I can still say good morning. <laughs> it's a, really a joy for Bernice and I to be here and be given this privilege of sharing from God's Word. We have visited your church once before, a long time ago, when you were in some commercial factory area in the afternoon. Uh, yeah. So uh, it's always that God has blessed uh, the church, not just numerically, but in maturity. And I can, because I haven't been here for a long time, I think I can testify to that. You guys have come a long way, and I want all praise to God. Uh, we have a number of very dear old friends here, and hopefully many new friends. So we see how the Lord will speak to us today. Let's commit this time to God. But it's always a joy and a privilege to be counted among your people, to join our hearts and voices to praise your name. Uh, it really is a foretaste of heaven. And now we want to continue to worship you with our hearing. Give us open ears, open hearts uh, to what you have to say to us so that we can get the wisdom we need to continue to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Yeah. All of us, as we live our lives, probably will have some key turning points. And for well, Bernice and myself, one of the turning points is how we lost our first spouses to cancer. So maybe expect to grow old with the spouse of your youth, huh? but, but we lost our first spouses. I remember when I lost my first wife to cancer, how devastating that was. One always expects to grow old with the wife of your youth. This is something that happened to others, but not to you, but it happened. I was very down, I was very out, and it really reinforced my suspicion that men need women more than women need men. Because uh, it says in the scriptures, it's not good for man to be alone. Never say not good for woman. So, I'm just trying to be biblical here. But yeah, this is one covenant. Not yet. But, uh, so I was lost. I was really in deep grief. My world had fallen apart. But I remember every Monday. Monday is usually the off days of those who are working for churches. Monday, a dear friend, uh, Lee Hong Kwang, who's the father of Hong An, every Monday he would come. And uh, I remember his... Fort Telstar. Anybody here know what is a Fort Telstar? 
as usual, it's only one or two, and I know what age you are. <laughs> so, you don't know what's a Ford Telstar, you can Google it, but I remember his Ford Telstar pulling up, and then he would take me, this is in Pataling Jaya, to uh, a dim sum place uh, in SS2. And you just have dim sum and great Chinese tea, and that was how the morning would go. You know? So he didn't quote, quote scripture to me, I mean, he know Bible, I also know Bible. Yeah. He didn't uh, check on me, are you in stage 2 or stage 3 of grief? Or, you know, he, he didn't you know, pray for me to you know, bind the spirits of grief, nothing, nothing. All we did was eat dim sum, dim sum therapy, just eat dim sum, and Chinese tea. You know, that, that. And yet, of all the memories of that period, this is one that continues to remain with me. I mean, I've always known this, but that period really reinforced this lesson that Christ is always with us in the Spirit, those of us who know the Lord. But that the presence of Christ is reinforced, is reminded when a friend in Christ spends time with you. So I know Christ is with me, but the reality of Christ being with me was reinforced, was reminded because I had a friend in Christ, Hong Kong, who was with me in those very difficult times. And clearly it was a sacrifice. I mean, your off day is very precious especially after a Sunday of ministry, but every Monday morning, for the longest time, he would come and take me for dim sum. So I, I, I know firsthand, not that I didn't know before, but that really reinforced that we encounter Christ in our fellowship with each other. Because Christ is always with us, huh? but we encounter Christ in our encounter with each other in Christ. Which really shouldn't surprise us because there are at least 24 one another commands in the New Testament accept one another, not this one another commands, bear one another's burdens, stir one another to love and good deeds. That it, the Bible assumes that normal Christian life is life lived in close relationships with other believers. And of course, in the early church, it was about 30, 40 people meeting in a house. You actually get to know people very well. And so the commands make sense that we follow Christ in the company of friends. And this is normal Christian life. You look at commands like bear one another's burdens. I, I can't really bear your burden unless I know what you're struggling with. So that presupposes some degree of knowledge. I think love presupposes knowledge. To really love you, I need to know what's going on in your life. And otherwise, it's just some generic love thing. And uh, to confess your sins to one another, that implies a high degree of, of confidence, of safety, that I'm able to process my worst, worst struggles with you. So the whole presupposition of the New Testament is that we are walking in close relationships with other believers. That is normal Christian life. We are supposed to follow Christ in the company of friends. But as I look at the church today, in Singapore and indeed in many other places in the world, I, I find that many churches are concerned for right doctrine, that we must know the truth, which is critical, of course. Christianity is based on revelation, on truth. We need to know the Bible and what it teaches. So churches are concerned for teaching, they're concerned for ministry, uh, to reach the lost, help the poor, activism. We're out there as God's representative to minister. And that's absolutely correct as well. No, that, that's what we are called to do, to be God's representative on earth until Christ returns. So, biblical knowledge, activism, ministry. But close friendships, we talk about it, we assume it, but it doesn't really happen. It doesn't really happen. Which is doubly sad, because number one, we live in a very lonely world. Uh, in fact, for our time, I think the, uh, the British cabinet had a minister for loneliness. 
don't believe me when Google check this. There was a minister of loneliness because that was really such a damaging reality in the country. And today, even before COVID, post-COVID, there's still so much complaint of loneliness in the world today. And it comes from all age groups. We have folks who are, who are senior, older, in the third age of life, complaining about loneliness, which is not surprising. As we grow older, some of our good friends begin to graduate to heaven. And, or our health, our energy level is not so strong anymore to go out and meet someone. It needs much more intentionality to do that. Or, oh yeah, you don't, don't you meet on Zoom or what? So we maybe not our eyes or that, not so hot on Zoom. So I can understand why uh, seniors is one group that complain about loneliness. And we better take this seriously because this is so damaging. But the other group in the studies, and it's not Christian studies, it's sociological studies, is actually Gen Z or young people in college, poly, young adults. I said, hey, why young adults complain about loneliness? They've got 1,000 friends on Insta. What's the, what's the? But maybe connecting virtually and connecting face-to-face -face is not the same. I, I do not know. But it's not just the old and the young. And many of us grapple with loneliness, which is really not God's intent for us. And like I said, the church is sometimes even sadder because we talk about it. We talk about love all the time. We love one another. We sing about this. But the study shows that churches actually are very friendly places. People are friendly. You, know, you come to church, oh, the toilet down there. Sorry, Carl Jr. closed already. The bus stop is there. But also, we are very friendly. We help people. We give them the information they need. We are friendly, but we are not friends. Because to be a friend, I need to know something going on deeper in your heart. And you need to know things deeper in my heart, my joys, my struggles. Friendship is, is, is built upon this exchange of deeper stories that that binds us together. But we can come to church, sing, sing, go home, and we still be a bunch of strangers. Maybe some of us who are more extrovert, we may reach out and, and chat with folks. So I'm not saying that all of us will be lonely, but many of us are not extroverts. And our culture, Asian culture in particular, is very shame-based. If I tell you my struggle, then you may have a low opinion of me, whatever. So the net result is not just the world is lonely, but even the church. Uh, and, and that's lonely and seems to be totally against what God had in mind. And I'm saying that this is not just another flavor of the week. This is what God had in mind, that we should be following Jesus in the company of friends. And let me therefore go to a touch briefly on John 15 again, to show that this is something that is taught in Scripture. Uh, it's not just uh, some uh, new fangled concern about relationships or just because the world is lonely, but this is from the Word of God. I really am sorry that I can't go through this text and expound in detail, which is what I would like to do, actually. I prefer to expound on passages, but I'll pick up some main points from this passage that talks about friendship. It is one of those passages which actually we have read so often, it doesn't blow our mind away. But Jesus calling his disciples, and by extension us, I call you friends. Jesus, Saviour, Lord, whatever, calls us friends. No, We know Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. God. You know? But then he says, I call you friends. And this is mind-blowing. In the Old Testament, maybe Moses, Abraham may consider themselves as friends of God, but the rank and file, the regular person in Israel will never see themselves as a friend of God. So when Jesus calls his followers friends, it's a, another level of intimacy and closeness. He's your friend. But in some ways, maybe it is not new. Remember in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, in the cool of the evening, God will come and walk with Adam and Eve, and there's a deep sense of intimacy, of friendship, of friends walking together. So it's not really completely new if sin had not spoiled the picture. And so now there's a recovery back of God's intent. 
a key name for, for Christ in Matthew is Emmanuel, God with you. So God, so God who desires his intimacy and friendship. And now that Jesus will go to the cross and die and rise again, he now makes possible this new old reality that we are friends of Christ, friends of God. And, but that goes on to say, Jesus said, but I, I command you to love one another as I have loved you. This is also in that passage. Like I said, I'm only picking up two or three things from here. <clears throat> command means something that we have to obey. Huh? My command is to love one another as I have loved you. Now, to love one another is not a new command. Many social groups in Jesus' time would say the same thing. Love one another. What is new here is to love one another as I have loved you. So if we wonder how do we love each other in one covenant, well, we look at how Jesus loved us. That becomes the template, the guide for how we love each other. So there's something objective here. No? You don't define love as you want it to be. Oh, I'm just cool in loving people in this way or that way. Say, hello, the, the, the benchmark, the definition of love is to love each other as Christ as lovers. That's the ruler to measure whether we are indeed loving each other as Christ wants us to love each other. So Jesus says, I, I, I'm your friend, and now you love each other as I have loved you. So we have to be friends with each other. You know, he calls us friends. I command you, love one another as I have loved you. Then we are to be friends with one another. And he quickly raises the bar of what friendship means. He says, you are my friends. If you do what I command you. But then he says, no one has greater love than this, that one lays down his life for his friends. So this is not an easy call. If you feel some resistance at doing this, I don't blame you. Jesus' definition of friendship, very high bar. Leh. He says, you are to lay down your life for your friends. If you are my friend, it means that whatever I can do to help you, even if it costs me, I will do it. So we don't know play play here. This is Jesus' definition of friendship, which he no talk only. He also showed he died on the cross for us. He's our friend. He sees a friend's loss in sin. He dies on the cross so that we can have new life. So we are called to love each other as friends. And Jesus' definition of friendship is uh, the cross. But let me just go a bit more into a definition of Christian friendship or spiritual friendship. I think it's C.S. Lewis who said every friendship has two components. One is there's a commonality. I share something with my friend that I don't share with someone who's not my friend. That's something we have in common. And then every friendship has a purpose. We walk together for some purpose. So commonality, you would probably figure out after a while that I come from Penang. The best people come from Penang. You, you ask your lead pastor. No? <laughs> but in Penang, we speak this strange tongue. It's Northern Hokkien. Northern Hokkien, strange tongue. Then when they came down to Singapore, they say, hey, they speak different. Huh? This is Johor, Singapore, they speak Southern Hokkien. Different vocabulary, different cadence. So I realized it's different. In fact, those in the South are very amused. Eh? Oh, your Hokkien so sing-song. Say some more, say some more. I say, what, you think I'm, you think I'm performing seal? Or what? Speak some more, some more. Then, uh, <clears throat> but then you go to a food court and eating, eating. Then you hear the next table. Huh? Hark, what do I hear? Northern Hokkien. Next table, complete strangers. My heart is strangely warm. I may even go to complete strangers and speak in tongues. Look, si Penang lang, si Bo. Subtitles. Are you from Penang? I have to give you sub subtitles here. Yeah. Are you from Penang? I say, I'm from Kedah. I say, but close enough. It's all right. So, but you sense this sense of bonding. You know what I mean? With someone, you share something in common that you don't share with someone else. Oh, you all will know after a while also that I've been supporting Arsenal Football Club <coughs> since 1971. <laughs> that will make some of you love me and some of you hate me. I don't care. Uh, Arsenal. And when I see someone with an Arsenal t-shirt, my heart is strangely warm. I say, 
Oh, this year I got a chance. Huh? So I, I feel that. And the guy wearing the Liverpool t shirt. Uh, yeah, Arsenal t shirt. Actually, Arsenal fans are quite happy today, by the way. Then, uh, what, what do Christian friends have in common? It's their common friendship with Jesus. You look at the 12 disciples, actually, the people who are, who are combined together are weird combinations like Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. Simon the Zealot is part of a revolutionary group who want to overthrow Rome through violence. And Matthew the tax collector is collecting taxes from their fellow Jews to give to the Romans. You know, in some multiverse, in some other universe, if uh, Matthew the tax collector had met Simon the Zealot in some dark alley, uh, it's very, very possible that Simon the Zealot would... But now they are friends. Not only that, they've got to wash each other's feet. You, no? How did they become friends? Because they are common friends of Jesus. It's Jesus who brings them together. And spiritual friendship is based on this, a common friendship with Christ. Not because we are necessarily uh, naturally connected. I think Peter was probably quite old, John was quite young, zealot, tax collector. But because of their common friendship in Christ. So let me be clear. The Christian friendship is not necessarily easy. It's not necessarily between people who may naturally be connected, but because we are friends. You know Jesus. Yeah, I also know Jesus. He's Savior and Lord. Yeah, man, Savior and Lord. Man. So we are common friends with Jesus, you know, and therefore we are friends with each other. That's the basis of spiritual friendship. Then the purpose of friendship. What is the purpose of friendship? What is the purpose of Christian friendship? We are friends who help each other follow Christ. In Matthew 4, Jesus announces the coming of the kingdom. And the first thing he does, he calls out the two sets of brothers, remember? Because you, you need to follow the king in community. So the four brothers becomes the nucleus of the church later, following Christ in the company of friends. So how do you define Christian friendship? They're friends with each other because of their common friendship with Christ and who are committed to help each other follow Christ. So let, let's be clear what preacher friendship is. Maybe we can toss out all sorts of names, but this is the definition. And we are saying that this is what the church needs to be having. But I think it's also useful from John, and especially from John 15, to talk about some of the components of spiritual friendship. So you and I are a spiritual friend. Huh? Is there some checklist of what should be involved in our spiritual friendship or not? So number one actually is time. Uh, all the studies in friendship have shown that, that how close you are is often connected to how much time you spend with each other. Because it's in time that we share conversations, you get to know your joys, your struggles, vice versa. And there's no running away from the need to invest time with each other. Which is really the number, number one challenge, because the number one reality of Singapore is we're all busy. So we actually have to be convicted we need to do this, because naturally, I've got no time. Anna. I have to be convicted that this is necessary, I will invest time with some people to draw closer to them. And even Jesus couldn't be close to everybody. He ministers to the masses, but he spends most of his time with his 12. So Jesus' method of discipleship is a three-year road trip with these 12 fellows. And they spend a lot of time together sharing about life. You know, my mother-in-law's sake, you know, hey, how to pay taxes. I mean, they're talking about life all along, spending time with each other. So you want to have friends, they must spend time with them. There's no running away. But of course, even then, Jesus <clears throat> went and connected with three people even closer, Peter, James, and John. <clears throat> all this is to let us know that we cannot be friends with everybody at the same level. I want to be friends with everybody in one covenant. Oh, that's good, but in actual practice, we can't be that close to everyone. It's just impossible. So who is your three? You know, who is your 12? And maybe that Jesus spent more time with John or whatever. So the one 
first element, which is the most difficult, I think, for busy people, is that if I am convicted that friendship is important, I will make that time to meet up in some ways, to continue to build that friendship. There's no running away. Secondly, uh, acceptance. I mean, Jesus knew what was in their hearts. The Gospel of John says that. <clears throat> no, like Peter will come and say, hey, Jesus, uh, everybody desert you. Uh, die also, I won't desert you. Uh, then the soldiers came, poop, he ran away. So, I mean, Jesus knows all this, but he still accepts and loves them. And so one key element, another key element of friendship is I get to know who you are when I accept you for who you are. Because when I know that I'm loved unconditionally, then it's a safe space for me to share with you my joys and struggles, the real me. If I don't feel safe, I'm always hiding all my bad stuff, only showing my good stuff. That's why Facebook is so, so misleading, because people only choose their best pictures. Well, the bad people they don't show, you know, they curate all their best experiences, you know, and depressed and they never show. So, we, it, that is the way we will live and connect to each other, curating only our best faces and never showing what is really inside me, my joys, my fears. But if I know that you accept me for who I am, then I have that freedom to begin to open up to you. So acceptance. So acceptance doesn't mean I endorse all that is going on in my friend's life. It doesn't mean. I mean, the Bible judges all of us. But I miss the person I accept. Just once I was having dinner with a friend, a, a full-time worker from another country, happened to come to Malaysia. I gave him dinner, and I was going to, after dinner, take him to, a, to, a, to another a meeting. After we finished eating, he said, before we go, I need to tell you something. He is married with two children. He said, I'm actually having an adulterous relationship with one of my co-workers. So I was stunned. Uh, he was a very dear friend. So I remember we were sitting opposite each other. I walked to his side of the table and put my arm around him and said, Whatever happens, I will always be your friend, okay? Whatever happens. But you know you need to deal with this, otherwise it's going to affect your marriage, destroy your marriage, destroy your, your ministry. It's going to be so destructive if you don't do something about this. So I had to affirm that I accepted him while nudging him to do the right thing, both. And he went back and he confessed to his ministry leader. I suspect that's what he wanted to do. That's why he told me. If he doesn't want to do this, he wouldn't have told me to begin with. But that was a journey of his own healing and restoration. And this is so precious because I think of all the times I fumbled big time in my life and my friends had put the arm around Suin. I said, hey, you know, all this mess, many things not too cool, but you know, we love you, you're my friend. I wouldn't be here today, man. And that means I, I, I couldn't hide from them. My failures were public. And so because they love me, it's not that they endorse what was happening, but they love me. So friendship requires acceptance to love the real person with their mix of strengths and weaknesses. If you don't do that, then your friends are fooey friends. F-O-O-I, fooey friends. What is fooey friend? F-O-O-I, friends of our imagination. <laughs> These are friends in your mind of all the strengths you like and none of the weaknesses you don't have. I've got people like that one. Everybody will be a mix of things you like and things you don't like, but I love my friend for who he is, where he is. That's the real him or her. But together we journey to what we should be. We don't stop there. We are called to be Christ-like. But the starting point must be real, right? This is where they are. I may wish they weren't sometimes, but this is where they are. So we accept each other and then we, hey, you know, let's follow Christ. Let's move towards what we should be. Wouldn't all of us need a kind of friendship to be better Christians? Otherwise, we are so scared, we always hide ourselves, curate our best faces. I always say Sunday morning, always we put on our Sunday clothes, put on our Sunday face, you know. How are you? Praise the Lord. 
Oh, inside dying or whatnot. You killed somebody last night. Praise the Lord. No, God is good all the time. Where will I find that safe place where I can really be me? I think we all need that. Not that it's an excuse for my failures, but it's a starting point of working on it. So acceptance number two. Number three is sacrificial love. This is Jesus' number one definition of Christian friendship, that he lays down his life. I think there's no love without sacrifice. I think every mother will notice. There's no love without sacrifice. And Jesus shows this because he died on the cross for us. I remember this one time when my father passed away. He was in Penang. I was ministering in PJ at the time. And my father passed away. One of my best friends was a bank director. And at once he cancelled all meetings. And don't tell me bank director, very free. He cancelled all meetings. He was with me in Penang by my side. He booked himself to his own hotel. Three days later, we buried my father. I was deeply moved that my friend had come. And I'm saying that you know, it's no love without sacrifice. Even Hong Kong, it's off day, Monday. You know, he'll take that time out and be with a friend. Then this friend, uh, the bank director, the next year his mother passed away, was in Kuantan. And I remember that so vividly because I just come back from a church camp. I tell you, uh, speaking in church camps are so tiring. You know? You've got to give three or four anointed talks. Then after the talk, you have to pray for people. People, can, you, can, you, can I talk to you? Yes. And even during the rest of the camp, people bump into you. Uh, can I share with you? Uh, yes. yes. Even dinner also cannot chill. Right? You're at meals and, how are you? Oh, after four days of that, you're dead. Man. So please give 20% more to your next camp speaker, okay? 20% more. Anyway, uh, then I had this news that my good friend's mother in Kuantan had passed away. What do you think I did? Hmm? What? I went to Kuantan? You think so? You think so highly of me? <laughs> I WhatsApp, I'm so sorry, brother. I come next week. Next week, I come next week, can or not? No, no, no I went to buy the first ticket. I went to Kuantan. Of course, I knew that he loved his mom and it was very tough towards the end. When, I, I mean, I was very tired. I wanted to sleep, man. That's a friend, man. He's my friend. He's my friend. This is how Jesus sees us, right? He's my friend. So I was with him and the, the, the services, the funeral. And let me be clear that when we do this kind of things for each other, we are not keeping score. No, it's not that, no, you came to my father, I come to your mother, now even already. Huh? <laughs> Next year, uncle, don't disturb me anymore. Uh, one parent, one parent, equal. If you have a chance to help your friend, you help. You don't, you're not keeping score. If I have a chance to help my friend, I will, even if it costs me. Because that's Jesus' form of friendship, right? So sacrificial love. And it's going to cost us to be a real friend. Both the, the need to be out there helping and sometimes the need to be humble to receive. Sometimes it's easier to give than to receive. You know, give, you still got dignity. I'm helping you. No? But I need help. Sometimes, sometimes that's harder, right? And you have the humility to receive help. Then, full disclosure, what Jesus said, whatever the Father tells me, I tell you. Because you are a servant, I don't need to tell you anything. But because you are my friend, Whatever the Father has told me, I will tell you. This kind of full disclosure. Whatever uh, God tells him to tell you, to his disciples, he will. Full disclosure. Slightly different, Paul will say, speak the truth in love. So friendship is based on the fact that we don't lie to each other. Whatever we think God wants me to say to you, I will say. In the, in the day of false news or whatever, I need some friends in my life who will love me enough to tell me the truth. Although sometimes that's painful. Some people either don't speak the truth or they speak the truth as a weapon to whack you. Truth can be used as a weapon to whack you. 
but someone who speaks the truth because they are concerned for my welfare. Speak the truth in love. I, another incident I remember, there's a time in my life I was choosing between two ministry positions. One was a teaching position, one was a pastoral position. So praying, praying. Then one of my best friends came to me and said he has been praying about it and he felt he wanted to tell me this. He said, Suin, uh, teaching, pastoral. As a pastor, uh, you so-so only. Uh, you so-so only. Mediocre, mediocre, mediocre. But I think you're better as a teacher, you should take the teaching position. So my response, what do you mean so-so only? I'm a good pastor, what the... <laughs> Which of course, uh, by, by outbursts of anger, showed that I'm not a good pastor. La. So I prayed about it, and I said, okay, la, I should take the teaching position. But I think about how much my friend loved me to come and tell me that. He knows it's a risk because Suin is famous for his ego and his temper. One. Famous, famous. So he come in, should I go and tell Suin? He's going to blow me away. But that means he loved me enough, you know what I mean? So I think we need friends in our life like that who would love us enough to tell us the truth. And that is another mark of spiritual friendship. So okay, four marks coming out of the exam. Huh? Four marks. You've got to spend time, invest time in building friendship. It cannot be lots of people. It cannot be lots of people. We need to accept them as they are so we can journey to what we should be. Thirdly, sacrificial love. If I can do something for you, it's going to cost me. If I can, I'll do it. And finally, a, com a commitment to being honest. Truth in love. So let me now briefly talk about the fruits of Christian friendship. Why is this spiritual friendship such a big deal? Because there are three things that happens when we walk together with other Christians. Three things. Number one is it helps us to remain connected with Christ. In fact, John 15 starts by Jesus telling his disciples to abide in him, remain in him. So Jesus is loving us all the time, but we need to be in a posture where we can uh, actualize that connection. It's not that Jesus doesn't stops loving us, but what do we do to remain in him and one of the things clearly is to remain in community of course there's nothing wrong with us individually go up mountain and pray or that personal retreats nothing wrong but it seems that the normal experience of remaining in christ is to be remaining connected to the community of christ so we when we meet up we remind each other of christ of what christ is doing in our life we, we encourage other come on following christ so you can see how remaining in community is a key way that we remain in christ or like my friend hong kong came to me and I remain connected to Christ in my time of grief because my friend was there with me. So if you're serious about remaining connected to Christ, you're not serious, never mind, love. you're serious about remaining connected to Christ, you need to be doing this in the context of community. If you don't want to be connected to Christ, then we should have, a, have another discussion. But if you're serious about remaining connected to Christ, then you've got to be doing this with friends in Christ. Help each other, man. We help each other to follow Christ, to remain connected with Christ. Number two is bearing fruit that lasts. All this is in John 15 as well. Like I said, I don't have time to go through a, a proper exposition, but friends help each other to bear fruit that lasts. Uh, so uh, as Jesus says, uh, I command you, I appointed you to go and bear fruit. That means spiritual friendship, end of the day, is not inward-looking. When I talk about spiritual friendship, many people are worried. It becomes very inward-looking. No? It's like some kind of corporate navel-gazing. But really, a true friend in Christ will encourage you to be the best you can be for the kingdom to bear fruit that lasts. So if you are serious about ministering for Christ, it's not just done by heroic individuals, but it's by communities where, hey, I know you, man, I know these are some of your gifts and some of your passions, you go for it, I think you should go and serve God in this way, and we as a community are behind you, man. Wouldn't this result in many more people serving God? Often, a lot of ministry, we do the, the uh, recruitment from up front. Hey, next year, we need 20 ushers. Please, please be usher. 
know, very upfront kind of recruitment. Upfront, no? So always beg, not begging. So I'd be asking, we need CG, how many CG leaders? But then what happens if this was bottom up? Let's say in your own community group, it's what you call yourself. Once a year, maybe towards the end of the year, we have some kind of ministry discernment exercise. We sit down and we look at each other and say, hmm, I think next year, as knowing you now, I think this is something that you might be able to do. How, what do you think about Sunday school? Because now I know you. And if you do, do that, we as a group will be totally behind you. Would that result in more people serving or not? We encourage one another to bear fruit that last. It's not just purely voluntary, please sir, we need this and that. But I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But in our small groups, we know each other. Uh, knowing you for some time, I think you are good in this. Or then you do this. And we as a group will be totally behind you. Sometimes we are scared to serve because we are scared we are alone. Bear fruit that last. Number three, withstand spiritual attack. Because John 15, we finish at verse 17, but verse 18 onwards, talking about how the world will hate you. Persecution is coming. So the need to have spiritual friends, one reason is to be able to withstand the spiritual attacks that will be coming. And in some countries, it's outright persecution. As we sit here in comfort, there are many brothers and sisters in countries where they're suffering and being killed for their faith. But enemy has different weapons for different cities. Maybe in Singapore, it, it, it'd be more... A persecution, not so much persecution, but temptation, oppression, confusion, but enemy will have different weapons. But the point being that if we are friends together, we are better able to withstand the attacks of the enemy, whatever form it takes. It means like climbing a mountain, we all rope together, right? Mountain climbing. I don't know, I never climbed mountain before, but I see National Geographic. So they climb mountain, people all rope together. So if somebody falls, ah, so we can rescue each other. So if we are relationally rope to each other, then when the attacks come, we can help each other withstand the enemy attack. If you are alone, the enemy will just pick us off. So there's three fruits of spiritual friendship. You know what? Abiding in Christ, ministry, withstanding spiritual attack. For those three reasons alone, we should be having two or three close Christian friends, isn't it? For those reasons alone, and there are many more. But quickly now, to, us, to finish this, where are the platforms for spiritual friendship? And I'll, I'll finish. Uh, I promise normally my sermon's not so long, but today got topic. Uh, the platform of spiritual friendship. One is the large group is lousy place for spiritual friendship. Large group. The large group is meant for inspiration, for instruction, but friendship building needs conversation. You cannot talk in this kind of service. Huh? When you're talking, hey, I've got a problem. Shh, shh. We talk during service, huh? Pastor Z gets angry. Huh? Shh, shh. You cannot talk. But I think I'm dying. Later, later. After benediction, page 7. After benediction, then we'll talk about how you are dying at page 7. Because there's, so then you reach page 7, the fellow died already. So what? So this large group is a lousy place for building relationships. So we look at three things that Jesus does. Jesus does. Number one is social groups where you go and makan with people. Jesus always makan one. Huh? You know or not, your saviour is famous for being glutton. You should wear a t-shirt. No? I follow a saviour who is called glutton. It's true, huh? Because why does Jesus eat all the time? Because Singaporeans, we pray, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. He eats all the time. You know why? Because he knows that eating is the most basic way to build a relationship from scratch. Some people may not be ready for a very cheap, deep relationship, but everybody needs to eat, man. And when we sit down for a meal, hey, how are you doing? What's happening? Kind of thing. So I don't care, you PhD, no D, everybody needs to eat. So we sit down, hey, how are you doing, man? Okay. So we talk about meals, there's something you shared about. You know what Bernice and I... Uh, the meal was actually central. I'm not surprised you remember the curry chicken and not my teaching. I'm not surprised. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Uh. Many people, after mentoring groups for years and years, they remember Bernice cooking. They can't remember what the thing I said. In the... It's okay. I'm cool with that. Because uh, we, we connect through social groupings and sharing meals. That's a starting point. Then small groups will be like 
our community groups, lah, the 12, lah, the 12. Again, this is what Jesus does. But you throw 15 people into a room, don't mean that they will be very close to each other. Lah. You, know, you say, oh, I'm going to share my problem. Uh, today, we have to finish chapter 10. Lah. Cannot. Shh, don't talk about problem yet. We only question 6 only. Today, the study guide says, must finish study question 8. So, don't talk about your problem until question 8 finish first. Huh? You got to question 8 die So, this is because you throw 15 people into a room, no guarantee that they will be close. So, we have to find ways to help people be close. One of the things we do is during the sharing and prayer time, we divide into guys and girls. Some things the guys will die first before they admit in front of their wife or something like that. But then you find different room, guys and girls. Which, hey, you also struggle with that. Oh, me too, man. And so we have to find ways to... And this is a whole seminar which I can come back. I'll give you 10% discount. I can come back and talk about how to help your community groups be more relational. Really, there are things we can do. But no time to go into detail. But, and micro groups is like three, three or four friends who are very close. Like Peter, James and John type. So I have a small, group, a small book called 321. Three friends, two hours, once a month. So it's again a guidance how we can experience pressure by a very deep level because two, three people covenanting to walk together. We keep nothing back. We help each other grow in Christ. So, of course, there's ad hoc friendships and all that. And let me be clear that spiritual friendships are not the only friendships we have. We have friends with other non-Christians. So friendship should be our bias. So, but this kind of friendship is for following Christ. Not, this is not the only friendship you have. Okay? So, so this is then what we can do. So let me end here with a challenge. You all are at a key turning point of your church life. You're going to go into a nice, beautiful building. As someone who has been in ministry for about 40 years, I find that sometimes when churches now find a nice, big, beautiful uh, facility, the focus of the church becomes on what happens at that big meeting. Now we have this lovely auditorium now, you know. We need to go to the tree house or whatever. Not a big one, marina one or that. Oh, beautiful building. You have top-notch worship team, great speakers. And then the sexy meeting on Sunday becomes your primary experience of church. You can be highly anonymous. Oh, the, wow, the church now, uh, 300 people are oh, full, oh, praise the Lord. Then everybody go home alone and nobody knows what the heck is going on in their lives. And that cannot be your church, okay? It cannot be. It's a very dangerous point. I'm all for good, big group meetings. I'm not against that. I'm saying it's good for inspiration and instruction. But the heart of Christianity, Jesus' command, love one another, be friends with one another, so make sure we now, even as we work towards transiting, we think about how to do our community groups better. How do we help people find small groups? Uh, how do we have meals that make newcomers feel welcome? We've got to work hard on that because it's always easier to do work on the physical things. You can see one. Relationships are messy. It needs the power of the Holy Spirit. It's harder to do. It's easier to do, build a nice hall and get it ready. That is easier. And that has to happen. But how do we as a church at this juncture of our church life, make a decision that it will not be the Sunday uh, rock and roll, that will, I mean, worship, sorry, uh, to be the main thing, but that it will be the quality of our friendships. Because we live in a very lonely world. The, the world doesn't need the church for big meetings or sleep program. But when they see a group of people who are different loving each other, they say, hey, how come you all can do that? Nah? How come people so different can love each other? It's strange you ask me that. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, again, I, I, I rejoice with what you have done in One, one Covenant. I, I rejoice in what you are going to do. But Lord, every time of transition is a time of danger and possibilities. And I pray, O oh God, that you speak clearly to the church, to the leaders, that this exciting new development, because it is a good development of moving to a new place, uh, will not come at the sacrifice of the realization that Jesus, you call us to walk together as friends. 
and what that friendship really means. I pray there will be a new work of God that will give people a deep hunger, the willingness to risk transparency, uh, the, the structures that they will need to help people enter deeper into friendships uh, so that we can connect with you, bear fruit, and withstand the attacks of the evil one. So Lord, in your mercy, do this for one covenant. I ask this in Jesus' name.